This is The Unseen, and I'm your host, Mike Cleland. On this episode of The Unseen, I am very happy to welcome my good friend, Grant Cameron. Grant is a high-energy guy, and that's putting it lightly, and he will be talking about his theory of wow. Now, when he says wow, he is implying that within the UFO experience, or perhaps the, the core meaning of the UFO experience, is nothing more than to get us to pay attention, to get us to say wow, or to get us to confront the absurdity or the bizarre qualities of these very strange experiences. And as I said before, he is a high energy guy, and this episode is somewhat of a roller coaster ride. So I encourage you, the listener, to strap yourself in and enjoy the ride. Now, uh, one little aside we did run into some audio issues during the interview, and I will interject and point out the points where we messed up. And I simply retold a story that I had shared, and we lost a little bit of what Grant had said, but it'll be very clear in the, in the audio. You will also hear the little gong chime that I use throughout uh, these episodes as a way to separate and clarify things on the audio. This interview was recorded Friday, August 30th, 2019. Please enjoy. Grant, I want to thank you so much for saying yes to this interview. It means a lot to me. Well, thank you, Mike. I appreciate your interest in what I'm doing. And uh, I think we, in a lot of ways, we have seen the UFO field the same way. So I'm, I'm honored to talk to you. Great. No, I, I agree. And I, I feel like we're on the same page. And um, I will also say that you talk very fast. And I have to fight <laughs> when I do this show. I have to fight to talk slow. So... I think we can probably give the listeners a bonus episode by cramming two hours of talk into one hour. There you go. Yeah, okay. There you go. Hey, I w you did a talk recently, and the title of the talk was "The Theory of Wow." And what do, when you say that, what do you what do you mean? This is, has to do with the UFO contact experience and the UFO phenomena as a whole. Well, the more I looked at it. Um, through the years, I've been doing this for 44 years, and I think you probably, through your career, you start with one thing, and as you move through your career, your ideas change, as long as you stay open-minded, that what I believed in 75, I don't believe any of it anymore. I, I basically have completely switched, and the more I looked at it, the more the phenomena seemed to be um, less physical, less physical, more mysterious, uh, even like more spiritual, more shamanic. And I guess what really sort of turned me was this thing with the um, to the stars is into this thing about the metals. And Jack Valet has been doing this. He, he makes this sort of the snide comment, man, we've been doing this like for 40 or 50 years. And when I saw the metals, I suddenly realized like something's wrong here because the, the concept that, that was sort of thrown out there um, is the idea that these metals are little pieces that have fallen off flying saucers and that we're going to pick this up and we're going to learn the, the, the theories of how this thing is propelled and we're going to go to the stars and all this kind of stuff. And I'm going, no, I don't think so. It's almost like the more you look, when you look at something, I sort of look at it as a chess game. So rather than you just making your moves and doing stuff, basically you look at everything as a chess move. And what you're trying to do is you do not move a piece until you look across the board and say, 
why did Mike Clellan move that pawn? What is he doing? Is he doing? Is he imitating a move someone did? And until you know why your opponent moved the piece, you don't make a move. So when I looked at the medals, I'm going, no, nah, I don't think that's real. I mean, they flew across the galaxy in a flying saucer, and then little pieces started to fall off the flying saucer. I'm going, no, no, there's something else going on here, something. And that's when I started to think, I wonder if they're dropping this stuff on purpose. I wonder if they're doing this. And I'd already known from a number of things in the UFO community, because I've been in it so long that I knew that a number of things that we believed really weren't true. For example, people will talk to you about ground traces. Oh, you want physical evidence for ground traces. You know, this is this is the evidence. You need to look at these 4,000 ground traces. I remember this is going back at least 10 years ago. I talked to Ted Phillips, who's the guy, the, the ground trace guy. And I said, Ted, this hasn't happened for a decade, has it? This has stopped, hasn't it? And he went, well, there's the odd case, but yeah, you're probably right. This has basically stopped. And I'm thinking, it's almost like they're going through. So I started to get this idea that whatever intelligence we're up against is just waking us up. And they do this, then they do this. Because in 1975, it was like when I had my first sighting, and that was when Travis Walton had his sighting, the idea was that UFOs are a random phenomenon, that you the, the, these you happen to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. Oh, yeah, yeah, to... yeah, and so much so that if someone said, I've seen two UFOs, exactly. they would take their report, crumble it up, and throw it in the wastebasket. Exactly. You, you were crazy if you saw one. You were absolutely – nobody would ever listen to you if you said you had two. And that's when people had the Travis Walton thing, and that's another one that I, that I thought about. And I'm thinking to myself – why did why was Travis Walton gone five days? Because his experience happened the same year as mine. And then I realized that his experience happened during those those uh, situations where they were inside the nuclear missile silos at, at the SAC bases along the Canadian border. It happened to some of them before Travis and after the week after. And I'm thinking, why would they take my people go? Oh, well, it was a random event. He was there. And I'm thinking like random event, like what was the flying saucer looking for a Walmart or what were they looking for a Christmas tree up in the in the mountains? Like, why was the flying saucer there? Was this a random thing that Travis just happened to run into this flying saucer? It just happened to be on the top of the mountain or was this all planned? And when you look at it that way, when I started looking at the fact that maybe this is all just whatever the intelligence is, is just waking us up. So it's not a random event. It's a event that they were actually planning. And if you wanted to get across consciousness and you wanted to really shift the thing, what you do is say, let's take a guy for five days. Boy, that'll really get some headlines. And that seems to be always what they want to do is they want to, they want to make it weird. They want to make it dramatic. They want to get your attention. And so when I started, I would talk to Travis from time to time and I'd say, Travis, and people ask him this. You, you've heard this. You've seen Travis a lot of times. You, they say, Travis, do you ever have another experience? And Travis, because the idea of it's random, then Travis only had the one experience. He happened to be in the wrong place at the wrong time. They killed him. Took him five days to bring him back. And, I, and I'm thinking, no, I don't think that's what it was. And so when you ask Travis, when he gets questions, then he would say, well, if I did have another experience, I can't prove it and I wouldn't talk about it. And I'm thinking, ah, he, he, there's something going on here. And, and, and I and I don't I mean yes so he he's one of the I mean he got thrust into this in a way that no one else has ever been thrust into this I mean he was gone there was a media circus when he arrived back and so he's still I the most famous guy in the world and that was why they did it I think because they 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 made this major headline but if you listen to him and you you realize he's had other experiences and I remember talking to him at one point and I said what about the other guys did they have experiences oh yeah 
And he's at the one experience. I can't remember what it was, but it's something in the Grand Canyon. One of the other guys, it was so weird that even Travis didn't want to believe it. Travis was doubting this other guy's story. And so the question is, well, if it's a random event, why are these other guys having experiences? And it's almost like that's what they want you to. Th- we, we make this assumption. And, and, and I have this other thing where I, I had this download experience. I don't know if you've heard me talk about it, but this is about two or three years ago. I'm walking down a street. I remember exactly where it happened. I remember how it happened. I took my glove off. It was very cold. And I'm writing this stuff down. It came with 24 different things. It came one after another. It was just like, oh, that makes sense. That makes sense. That makes sense. And what it was was basically the idea is is we're making a lot of false assumptions. You base all your worldviews on all these things. And I had 24 of them. And it was like, you're, you're believing it's this and it's not, it's actually this. So I'll give you an example. So you say it's like the, the, the Travis thing. Is the world random? Is it a random, meaningless universe where things are just bumping into each other? Or is it, or is it, um, is that a pattern? Is it like a Rupert Sheldrake, morphogenic fields? The universe learns. It's a, it's a verb rather than a noun. And you're saying, so they basically said, you're believing it's a random world. That's one world. But if it's not random and if it's pattern, that's a completely different world. And all the rules change. And then the one about uh, the, the big one, of course, I always mention is the, uh, and I knew this one before, is it separation? Are we separate objects floating around in time and space? Or is it all one thing? Is it all just one mind? If it's, you know, if, if we're separate objects, that's one world. But if it's everything is connected, everything's one, that's a completely different world. You've got to review everything. And then the one about one life. And this is one of the big things that, that I think the UFO community has basically missed. I remember John Alexander brought this up. He said, understanding what happens at death is the most important thing. That to, If you figure that out, you're going to figure it all out. And that's the whole idea. Is it one life? If you live one life and you go to heaven, hell, whatever happens after and nothing happens after, that's one world. But if reincarnation is a fact, everything changes. Absolutely every rule changes. You've got to rethink everything you've done. And the, the basic one where this whole idea about the theory of wow was, is the world made out of little nuts and bolts or is it made out of consciousness? Which is primary? If it's nuts and bolts, that's one world and has certain rules. But if it's made out of consciousness, then it's a completely different world. And so the whole concept would be that if, if the world is made out of consciousness, if this idea with, with uh, say, um, Rudy Tanzi and Deepak Chopra and people where they're talking about this thing where everything that happens doesn't happen out there. It happens inside consciousness. It comes in through your senses and it happens in consciousness, wherever that consciousness is. And that the whole idea that we're interpreting things and we we believe that the world, it, we look out through our, we think we're looking out through our eyes. We're really not. We're just, all this stuff is coming into into the senses, into the consciousness. So we assume if you're looking out, you believe you're looking out through your eyes and the world is flat. You believe it's flat until you get more evidence and then you go, well, it looks like it's flat, but it's not flat. It looks like the sun is going around the earth. Well, it's not. It's it, you, you. The more information you get, the more you realize that what you're seeing is not really reality. And so that's where I'm thinking that it's the shift of consciousness that we're making all these false assumptions about, about um, what's going on. And even science will throw up the thing. They say, well, we don't really need this consciousness thing, the alien thing. We've got the laws of physics and it doesn't fit into the laws of physics. That's all you need is the laws of physics. We don't need God. We don't need mysticism. We don't need all this weird stuff. And I'm going, that's an assumption. You're assuming you get to start with the laws of physics. Well, if you get to start with the laws of physics, then I get to start with Santa Claus and his younger sister, the tooth fairy. You can't just start with a bunch of laws and get all, I got all the laws. I get all the, the matter in the universe and I'll explain it from there. And that's where this thing came down is 
that the more I looked at the UFO field and what's happening, and I look go through all the different things, and you look at it and you say, is it really an event happening or is it just them doing things to wake us up? And the more I looked at it and I looked at all the different things, whether it's mutilations, whether it's abductions, whether it's, you know, ground traces, crop circles, it all came to the same thing. I'm thinking, no, this is just like a, it's like a game. It's like we're in the middle of this game and they're just um, doing little things and we think it's an actual thing happening. And actually, it's just them trying to get our attention. And that's why I called it the theory. Wow. They just want you to go. Wow. And I guess the primary one, the main one. And people bring it up, but they don't really think past. It's almost like the chess move. They see the move being played, but they really don't think it out. Is you see a UFO. Why do UFOs have lights on them? We don't have lights on our plane. John Lennon had this sighting, 1974, lights all around the edge of the craft, red light on the top. Why do you need lights to go through interstellar space? No, they have lights so you can see the craft. When they abduct people, if that does happen, you don't see anything. So they can cloak themselves whenever they want. They don't have to be seen. So when, they be, when they're seen, they want you to see them. Why does my second sighting that I had, 1975, started with this thing jumping around the sky. And I remember this girl in a, beside us was crying. I can't see it. I can't see it. Where is it? And it's jumping around the, like huge all over the sky. It's just flash, flash all over the sky. And as it got closer, it, it turned into this object I'd seen the first night. But it was jumping around. So why does a UFO have to jump around the sky? When you see a UFO, you hear these people accounts. Oh, it came out of the water. And then it just zipped, it zipped off and it stopped. It made a right-hand turn at 3,000 miles an hour and it went racing off. Well, why do you have to do that? Why do you have to, to make right-hand turns at 3,000 miles an hour? What they want you to do is go, wow, was that ever cool. I saw that. They're just trying to get you, get your attention. And it's almost like the, the I, I call it almost like the circus. I say, you take a look at the, the life of Jesus. If Jesus hadn't walked on water and healed people and done all this circus stuff, you wouldn't know who he is. So what they're doing is the circus. They get your attention. They do these very, very bizarre things. It gets your attention. Then they deliver the message. Okay, we can talk about that message more in the next segment. We're at the, we've reached, this was raced by. The first 15 minutes has been and gone, and we're going to take a short break. For non-members, there will be a few commercials, but for members, we'll be right back. We are back on The Unseen and we are talking about the wow factor with my guest, Grant Cameron. Now, Grant, you and I have a mutual friend, and his name is Christopher Bledsoe. And um, he has come out and talked about his experiences, and at the same time, he's been somewhat private. So I want to be cautious how much we share here. And I know you've had a very interesting set of experiences at his home, and I would love to hear about that. The very weird experience with Chris Bledsoe, which is uh, as clear a wow story as possible. I don't know if you know the story about the dog. Have I ever told you that story? About oh, the yeah, dog? we can talk about that, yes. And I've had yeah. my own very, very powerful wow events in the presence yeah. of, of Chris so myself. Th that cl that clarifies it. Because what happened with me is I went to see Chris. I was going to Florida. I had to rent a car. I stopped at his place. And I wanted to film the tree. And he's, you know, he's a very nice guy. He takes you around, shows you the site and where the beings were. And, you know, he goes on for hours. And he gives you a whole tour of the place and what happened and stuff like that. And I was with him. And I was leaving for Florida and then um, sitting in the living room. And he's, we're playing on Facebook. And I said, uh, Chris, I, I just before I said, I'm going to leave. I said, I got to go. Just before it happens, Chris says, what are you guys doing back in the house? 
And he's got the three dogs. I don't know if he's had them when you were there, but a big, big black lab by the name of Nelly. Then he had a medium-sized dog. And then his little chihuahua. And the three dogs are sitting in the middle of the living room. And he goes, well, how'd you get back in the house? And he goes to the front door and the front door is wide open. So he puts the dogs back out and he closes the door. And then I said, okay, Chris, I got to go. I got to go to Florida. I'll come back when I'm finished the lecture. I'll come back on Monday and I'd like to talk to you again. He said, fine. So I leave the house. I get to Florida and he's already sent me an email. He says, you know what? It happened twice more after you left. I was back in the living room. Suddenly the dogs were back in the house and the door was wide open again. And then I, I put them outside again, closed the door. I went to the bathroom. I came out of the bathroom. The dogs are back in the house again. The front door is wide open. And I'm thinking to myself, yeah, whatever. You left the door open. I mean, big deal. I mean, like, it didn't mean anything to me. It's just like nothing. So when I go back, this experience happens. And I wasn't impressed. And that's the whole thing. I didn't go, wow. I just went, ah, you leave the door open. It didn't mean anything to me. I go back. And this happens within 10 minutes after I come back to his house. He's, he's, we're, we're talking. I take pictures of the burning tree, which you've seen, this bizarre tree. And we're standing at the back patio of his place. He says, let's go in the house. I said, okay. So we go back to go in the house, and Nellie was lying behind us on the grass. She makes this move to get in the house before us. She comes on my left-hand side. Chris is on my right. We're going into the door, and all of a sudden, I hear Chris yell, Nellie, Nellie, what happened to you? And I look, and the dog is, is and he, the way he described it, it was like a hose that had been cut. And the, the blood is shooting out the dog's neck, and it's up on the walls and the, 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 the floor. And then I go, and it was like, wow, it was like, wow this is weird and i go running to the car and i because my camera was in the front seat of the car i pull the camera out and i start photographing this whole episode he pulls the dog down off the steps onto the onto the back patio there's blood everywhere his the son's girlfriend is cleaning up the blood on the walls and stuff like this he's got this rag he says chris get me a rag get me a knife i gotta cut off the collar and we're discussing what do you do with the dog do we take it to the vet it's probably gonna be dead by the time because it's still bleeding and Chris has his hand on there, and the, you, I've got photographs. The, hand, the, the rag is all full of blood. The dog's just lying there very calmly. And then, um, so he, he, let, lifts, he lifts up the, the rag, and the dog just stands up, wags her tail, and goes racing off. And I go racing after her with the camera. She goes around the front, barks one time at the front door, and then races off into the next-door neighbor's yard as if she's chasing something. And I went, well, that, that, that was pretty cool. And I said, wow, Chris, you know, and I immediately he I knew he was trying to move this story with. Hi, this is Mike, and I am chiming in during the editing process. Hey, I want to be a little bit careful here. Chris is a personal friend, and I've had some long conversations with him. And I will say this indirectly. Uh, he has had some interest from Hollywood to turn his story into a movie. Now, I understand the limitations of talking about a film before it gets made. Let's say a potential film, because as far as I understand, nothing has quite come of these talks. So I'm being very cautious here. I'm snipping out a few things. Grant used the name of the production company in the studio. And just out of politeness to, to Chris, I'm going to snip that out. And also in the next few minutes, you'll hear another point where I snip out the name of the production company. And I just did that as a courtesy. Okay, back to the interview. They wanted his story. They wanted to do this whole story about the burning tree and all this weird stuff. And I said, wow, you know, Chris, is that amazing what happened? And he said, I think there was a shadow people. And I went, what? The shadow people? And he had these shadow, two-dimensional shadow people that would move along the walls in his house and they would walk in the ceiling and stuff like that. And the one actually had a top hat on, 
which is another wow thing. It's like, if you're a shadow person, why do you need a top hat on? I mean, why, why is like why is Betty and Barney Hill's alien wearing hats? I mean, this is bizarre things that they do that sort of give you a clue. Like, look a little bit closer. What are you really looking at? So he said, what's well, the shadow people? And I said, well, why would the shadow people cut the dog? That, that's not what happened. He said, well, yeah, I think so. And I, and I said, well, wh- why? Well, they're evil. And I said, well, why do you think they're evil? And he said, well, they're dark. And I said, well, because they're dark doesn't mean they're evil. And I said, you know what I think happened, Chris? I think that the beings, whoever it is, the guardians, he called them, they want the movie. You're trying to move this movie and they want this bizarre stories in the movie. They want people, they want to catch people's attention. And that's why they cut the dog because they knew I was there and they want this in the movie. And he said, no, I don't think so. And a couple of weeks later, he contacts me, he says, um, others would like to know, have you got those photographs? <laughs> And they wanted to see the photographs of the dog. So that whenever this series comes out or whatever happens, this is going to be one of the stories. And that's what it is. It's like this really weird thing they do that he's basically tied into. So she gets oh, and let me. So Chris, Chris put his hand on the, the I've, I've heard the, Chris tell the story myself in the yeah. room where it happened and, or on the back porch there. And he put his hand on the dog's neck. And then yeah, when, he the pulled, and he, when he pulled it away, there was no wound. That, that night, yeah, it was uh, that night or the next day, he and his father looked for a wound. He said you, they could not find any cut on the dog's neck. So here we have this mystical healing, which I, which in, in my research is something that shows up over and over again, this healing aspect, which Especially is another wow Bledsoe. factor, yeah. I mean, Chris Bledsoe has the one. I don't know if you were uh, at the event in Maine. Uh, he had did two healings when I was there, or he did two. It was just bizarre. I mean, uh, and what happened at, at, at the Maine event, the, the experiencers event there, is... Chris tells me he's, he's there and he's just there. They want him there to be, you know, around. He's not lecturing or anything. And this woman comes up and they're, they're twins. They're in their 70s. And the one woman's had a stroke and she's lost her hearing. So she, the, the sister comes up and says, Chris, Chris, can you heal my sister? Uh, she's lost her hearing. And he said, well, and he didn't said, I didn't know what to do. So I just put my hands on her ears and I said, in the name of Jesus, I, you know, whatever. He does this thing. He said, I don't know what to do. And she comes out of my lecture and this woman says, the sister says, oh, she comes out and she says, I heard everything. I can hear, I can hear. And I'm thinking, oh, this is just weird. Like when you're around Chris Bledsoe, this stuff happens all, it's just weird, weird, weird all the time. And it was the same sort of thing. It was like the thing that you put into a movie to get people's attention because that's the way you raise consciousness. If you, if I come to you straight to your face and say, Mike, you're wrong. This is the way it works. You just go, get out of here. Go away. Just get away from me. But if you put it into a movie, you fictionalize it, you put it into a story, the people are entertained. They don't realize that the message is being delivered. It's almost like the Jesus thing. You do the magical circus thing, and then you deliver the message, and people sort of fall into it. Hey, this is Mike. I am chiming in during the editing. I have to apologize. A little bit of the audio got sort of corrupted. There was kind of an echoey overlap, and I have been working to try to clean it up, and it's not working at all. So I will simply retell the story that I told Grant. I'm going to tell it here right now with a nice, clean audio. A few years back, my partner Andrea, here at the house said, Mike, what did you do to my pendulum? And she was standing at the counter where the pendulum sits, and it's a crystal pendulum with a little black thread on it. Now, this is a typical pendulum like you would get at any kind of crystal store, like a little divination pendulum. You would hold it in your fingertips, the string, this little black thread on this pendulum, you would hold it by the string and ask a yes or no question, and the pendulum would uh, usually swing uh, side to side for no and backwards forwards for yes. Now, Andrea said, what did you do to my pendulum? What did you do to the string? And I said, I, I didn't do anything to the string. What are you talking about? So she said, look, look, it's 
it used to be in one long stretch of thread with two knots. And you could hold it by a lower knot or an upper knot. But looking at it now, there were like three equal loops, like three bunny ear loops. And I was like, I didn't tie it like that. Now, I, I actually know a lot about knots. I've actually worked on some knot books. And I have taught knot tying for a school. So I feel like I'm pretty well versed in knots. And I looked at this little thing. and like, how did, how did this get tied like this? I sat with my glasses. I put on my reading glasses. And I got some tweezers. And I tried to undo this knot. And I, I couldn't undo it. So it had three loops on it. We set it back on the on the little table there after I had tried and tried and tried to undo that knot. And the knot was this little thin black thread, so it was pulled tight. There was nothing. I could not get it undone. A couple days later, Andrea says, Hey, how did you get the knot undone? And I said, I couldn't get it undone. I, she said, No, no, look, it's back. And sure enough, it was back. It was the same configuration it had been before, where the black thread had one long loop with two knots in it and i was i was baffled cuz i know nobody undid that knot now when i told grant this story he kind of laughed and he said this is like the metals this is just like the metals this is this stuff happens it's only there to make you go wow it's only there to make you go this is bizarre and that led into a discussion about the metals and now back to the interview with the voice of grant cameron and i believe they have this idea that this this crash thing this material was actually gifted to them. And that's that fits into the theory of, wow, they're dropping this stuff on purpose. There's no pieces falling off. They're, they just want you to go, like, look at this piece. Wow, it's layered. It's down, put down together one atom at a time. How could you possibly do this? Wow, this is so cool. And people think that if you if you suddenly figure out this 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 piece of metal, that's going to discover how the, the craft works. And that's not the way it is. It's the same as, as UFO sightings. They sat there like with the Nimitz. They sat in the one UFO apparently sat there for a week, hovered in the spot for a week until they noticed it. And they, they waited for them to go out and, and, and chase them. They were just trying to get their attention. It was this whole thing like here we are. And then they take off at, you know, s this massive speed and everybody goes, wow. And that doesn't teach you anything either. So we're, we're in this field where we're sort of spinning our wheels in the field. We think uh, photographs will do it. Well, no, photographs will just teach you, yes, something's going on. Something very weird is going on. Crop circles. Yes, it's very weird. You go, wow, how could you possibly do this? And and it's it's this deal where it makes you go, wow, and you're trying to figure out what's going on. But it doesn't give you the answer as to what you're dealing with. It just says, yes, something weird is going on. But why do they put triangles on people's arms? They put triangles so you can say, no, that wasn't a dream. At first, you think it's a dream. Or I just heard a recent story where they take these four people and they put them backwards in the tent. Or you hear people, they have their clothes on. When they come back from an abduction, they got their clothes on. I've got one. The shirt is inside out and backwards. And so you say, well, these aliens are stupid. What are they doing? Why they can't get the clothes on right? And it's like, no, maybe this is just the theory of wow. They put your clothes on inside out and backwards. So, you know, no, this was not a dream. It's the whole idea that the, the beings are trying to get this message across through certain people, through experiencers. And they're also using this wow factor of making it very, very bizarre. Almost like another example is the, the cattle mutilation. I always say, and I've asked Linda this before. Linda, why are they all cattle mutilations bloodless? Because if they weren't bloodless, it wouldn't be weird and nobody would bother looking at it. They just say, oh, that's an animal, that's this, whatever. And why do they, if they take the cow, they say, you can say whatever you want. The cow, they're taking it for genetics or whatever they're doing or whatever. So you take the cow, you've got it on the ship, 
So why did they come back into the war zone and drop the cow right in the front yard of the farmer? And I said to Linda, I said, you know why they do that, Linda? They do that because they know you're going to go take photographs and put it everywhere. And that's what they want. They want everybody talking about it. They, and that's how you raise consciousness. It's not so much where they're going to try to get in your face and convince you. They just use this weird way of getting your attention, making it we weird. And over a hundred years or whatever it's going to take, they just get everybody so fascinated with all this weird stuff that people eventually, almost like Jesus, they buy into this thing that this is, this is spectacular, this is weird, and then they listen to the message. We can talk about that message in the last half hour. We have reached the 30-minute mark. For members, we will be right back. For non-members, there will be a few short commercials. Please stay tuned. And we are back with Grant Cameron talking about the wow factor in all this strange stuff that makes up the UFO contact experience, or let's just say the overall UFO phenomena, this weird wow stuff. I wanted to say something during the first segment or one of the segments there, and I, but I'm going to say it now. I didn't have a chance to squeeze it in. Leo Sprinkle started uh, giving out a questionnaire to the people who had seen UFOs or had contact experiences. And he started doing this in the early 1960s. So he has been using what essentially is the same questionnaire for 50 years. So he's got a very incredible baseline of data. And now he, he told me this. I'm, I'm doing this from memory now. He said that one of the statistical things that does not match the overall population is one of the questions... In the, in the questionnaire was, do you believe in reincarnation? And he said it was, it was essentially 100% of the people, but statistically enough after all the years that it's, it works out to about 100% of the people yeah. who have had either seen a UFO, I think this is right, who have either seen a UFO or have had a direct contact experience when asked, do they believe in reincarnation? They say yes. Yeah, yeah, that that's that's where I think the next step where we go in ufology is is lots of times I end in my lecture and I say the, after 44 years, what I would say, what I think I know most for sure is that whatever this turns out to be, it's going to be a lot less physical than you think it is. That's going to be a lot more spiritual and people are not going to be very happy about this. And so you brought up the reincarnation thing, and that's one of the download things that I was given was this idea, is it one life or is it reincarnation? And if it's reincarnation, then when you get, especially through the abduction stuff, there's this new uh, abduction documentary movie out now, and the people are saying, I, you know, I was taken against my will and all this sort of stuff. And if you go to the regression stuff, and I remember Kathy Martin, I'm asking Kathy Martin about this, like, Kathy, uh, what about the soul contract? I mean, are these people agreeing to this? Because if it's a reincarnation world, then it's there's no more good or bad. It's all experience. Like you chose this, you chose that. You can say the world is a terrible place, but you chose to be here at this, to this point in history, at this place in history, and maybe you're here to try to change whatever's happening. Reincarnation changes basically everything. And in the free survey, they when you look at that data, which I think is the most important data you have to look at when you look at experiencers, because they're talking, what, 6,000 experiencers now. I mean, it's a lot of data instead of somebody's opinion. And you start to see these very distinct patterns. And reincarnation is one of them. That the, Of the people there, they say that 26% of them say the beings actually talk to them about reincarnation. And that um, the 
75% of them believe that reincarnation is a key part of what's actually going on here. And then you get these other really weird statistics. And, and I always bring these up to say, if you think this is like little uh, aliens flying around in little tin cans, think again. And that's the, the you get into these uh, statistics where you're, 37% of all experiencers claim to have had a near-death experience. So you, again, we go back to this random thing. Is, is it your experience with UFOs random? And is a near-death experience random? So you say, well, no, what's the chance? I remember they wanted to set up a committee to try to identify why are 37% of all experiencers having near-death experiences? I said, you don't need a panel. All you have to do is make the right assumption. Is it a random world? Is it a reincarnation world? If it's a reincarnation world, then maybe you chose to come in here and you chose to be an experiencer and you chose to have a near-death experience and there's nothing random about it at all. It's just you chose to do these two things and, and the two are sort of tied together. So when I was talking to Kathy Martin about it, she actually did a regression. She said, I actually heard myself say it. Yes, I chose I chose this. I chose to be here. And this is this whole idea. We want we want to be victims. We're like corks in a stream and things are just happening to us. And uh, these aliens are coming doing this and the government's doing that. And Hillary Clinton's, uh, you know, making me miserable or whatever. And no, it's it's this manifestation. And that's a key thing that people have to realize. I believe in the UFO field is that you are part of what you're manifesting. And people don't want to believe that because they believe it's like separate things. There's them and there's us and there's no connection between us. And when you start looking at this manifestation thing, and I remember um, there was the, I don't know if you've seen this, um, you probably have this um, interaction between um, John Mack and Bud Hopkins at Boston, I think it was Boston University. Oh, yes, yes. It's quite You're interesting. Yeah, I, I, I put that on my blog ages ago. Yes, it's a great little yeah, talk. So, so Mack says, he says, you know, Bud. It's kind of strange. You know, I'm the psychiatrist here. You know, you would think I would have all the really bad ones. He says, and actually, I have, uh, you know, you have all the bad ones. And I have all the ones that are seeking spirituality. He said, maybe that has more to do with you and I, bud, than it does with the aliens. And that's this whole idea about manifestation. And I just came back two weeks ago and I wrote up a report. This is, I was at Mount Shasta with the Mission Rama group. This is the second time I've been there. And some bizarre stuff happened the first time there. And I sort of thought this was one of the most spectacular stories I've ever seen in my life with these people opening these portals and interacting with aliens. And it's like, wow. I mean, oh, 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 you got to take two steps back and just give us a, 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 a set the scene here for this mission. OK, so Mission Rama is a group that started in 1974, about six months or nine months before I had my experience. And what it is, is two guys, Charles, uh, Charles and um um, pause. Uh, Sixto and Charles Pause, two brothers. They're doing automatic writing, and suddenly the automatic writing is saying we're an alien. And they went, "How do we know you're an alien?" And they said, "Appear south of Lima, Peru, in the desert, eight o'clock Saturday night. We'll be there." So they go, "Okay." So they go to the the, the desert, eight o'clock, and this thing appears at exactly the time when they said. Now, the Mission Rama has started, they're up to, there's like 25,000 of these people around the world. They're mostly Latino people, groups all around the world, and they use these protocols. So Stephen Greer has got his protocols that he claimed that he was taken aboard a ship and he was given these protocols for his CE5 initiative. And these guys were given their protocols. And what these things are called is program sightings. So what they have is they have what people are called antennas. And these are people who pick up the message. So in every Mission Rama group, 
they're looking for the antenna. They're looking, has anybody got a message? Anybody have dreams in the last couple of weeks? And they're trying to pick up the messages. And what they do is they follow the antenna. And what what happens is, you know, like in 2017, when I had my experience, they I got a message from uh, Ricardo Gonzalez, who was the contactee who was running the group, that said, Antarell knows you're coming to the mountain and there's going to be a program sighting on Saturday night. And I go, wow, cool. You know, like this alien that had appeared in 2014, 2015, they had opened these, what they call Zendras. We call them portals. It's sort of an international bubble. And Paula Harris was involved in these two. And I interviewed all the, not all the people, maybe 60% of the people who were inside these Zendras. And I would say to them, okay, you're in this thing, this interdimensional portal. What do you see? Oh, there's this being standing there. Yeah, how tall is he? 10 feet. Uh, what did he look like? He looked like he was a bike guy. He was real muscular. He had like a bicycle suit on. And everybody would say the same thing. He had sparks coming off his chest. Uh, he had long white hair. His name was Antarell. But everybody in the in the event, in the in the Zendra, they would take seven people at a time in the Zendra. So they take seven people, 2014, 2015, seven people. And everybody had a different experience. So the being was talking to each person like separately, like they're having a separate experience. So this is this Mission Rama thing. So two weeks ago, I go up there and I, I'm ready to document this thing. And I've got a 120 page report on this, what happened on this weekend. And it's the same sort of thing. So they're doing a different thing. So you have um, uh, people have, you know, whatever protocol they use, but they use a protocol where they're doing a lot of um, meditation, a lot of mantras, a lot of oming, and they're trying to raise the vibration. And, and on the Saturday night is usually when this stuff happens. So a bunch of stuff, I won't get into it. A bunch of stuff happens Saturday night. I'm documenting all this. I'm interviewing all these people that were there. So you see their stuff. And this is what comes into manifestation, whether it's Stephen Greer's group or whether it's a lot of those other C5 groups or whether it's especially Mission Rama people. They've done this since 1974. They've had piles and piles of stories that are all published. They have not had one single gray evil alien it's all angelic beings it's they're coming from god they all got blonde hair they're all beautiful they're tall and this sort of stuff and yet you go to skinwalker ranch and you look at skinwalker ranch and here you get these armed forces guys who are armed to the hilt walking down this road and they run into a portal and they get stopped in their tracks and and they get a voice in their head that says leave immediately you are not wanted and so you have these two things. So you have the Skinwalker Ranch where you have these these tribes who have been throwing curses on each other for 200 years. And you get all these sort of uh, skinwalkers and these sort of dark sort of uh, things happening there. But you have and that's what I asked the people. And nobody would answer on Skinwalker Ranch. They had they were claiming they're having all these sort of bizarre experiences. And I said, were these people armed? Because when you go to Mission Rama, there's nobody armed. There's no, it's all peace and love and all this kind of stuff. And it's the idea that you are manifesting. You, If you build a, 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 a say, a, a house in this world, Mike, you can build a world. But you can also build a world in the spiritual world. And this is proved by an experiment that was done in the 1970s called the Philip Experiment out of Toronto, if you've heard of this, where they actually manifest a ghost. They create this ghost. They, they give him a character. He's in the 16th century and his wife and he runs off on his wife and his wife commits suicide. And, they, and this whole story and they meditate on this for a year. They can't do it. And someone says, try a seance. So they do a seance and this Philip shows up and he's exactly what and he's, and the table is tipping and they're talking to him. And he's the character that they created. And this whole idea that you can manifest this stuff. So, yes, there is this sort of um, poor, you know, uh, bad energy or whatever but we're manifesting this stuff and even if you look at um michael talbot 
who wrote the uh, the holographic universe. And Bud told Linda Howe on a plane that he was that that was one of his clients, that he was an experiencer. And he talks about the poltergeist experience. And he talks about the apports, which is another key thing of the wow factor is this apport thing. And he's, he tells the story that when I was young, I had these poltergeist experience happening in my house and I had the gravel was falling and stuff was appearing and disappearing and stuff like that. All what experiences report. And he said, I realized that when I was in a good mood, the poltergeist was very playful. It would hang the socks off the plants and it would fool around and do funny things. But when I was in a bad mood, I would wake up with needle marks and cuts in my arms. And that's this whole thing that the experiencer is part of what they're manifesting, almost like this John Mack. Maybe that has more to do with you and I, bud, than it does with the aliens, that you actually basically manifest what you what you have. And you, you even get the, the weird stuff at Skinwalker Ranch that people want to try to twist it into uh, evil aliens. And basically, it's very bizarre stuff, which I got into a couple months ago. It's this whole thing about reports that a lot of experiencers will report. If you ask them, you say, you ever have anything uh, sort of fly around the house or something just drops out of the ceiling and uh, or stuff disappears and then reappears? And they go, oh, yeah, that's not part of the thing. It is. It is part of the thing. And what happened at Skinwalker Ranch, they had 20 incidents. And the, the, the prime one that you have to look at is what is really going on here? Like, take a look at that chess move. What are they really doing? So the woman comes home. She takes all the groceries and she puts the groceries away. She goes into another room, comes back in and all the groceries are back in the bag. So why would they do that? And that's this whole thing. They're trying to get your attention. They're trying to make it really weird. They're throwing, uh, you know, uh, they're putting the bulls in the trailer. They're doing all this kind of stuff. And it's it's this whole idea that we are part of of, of what we're we're actually manifesting. So the, the the mission Rama thing is clear. Or even the thing with with I, I brought up with John Burroughs with a lot of people. Nobody really wants to talk about it. I said, you know, at when Rendlesham Forest happened. And people say, well, you know, people are injured. If you get close. I said, come on. I was within 500 yards of a UFO four times in 1975, 1976. I'm still here. I've got no physical problems. So why was John Burroughs injured at Rendlesham Forest? There was two guys with him when that thing flared up. And and Denniston touched the thing. He was touching the craft and he was looking at the craft. So why was John Burroughs injured? And one of the stories that was told by Kabanzak was that John pulled his 38. When it, the thing flared up, Penniston yelled, fire on it. And John supposedly, according to the one witness that had his gun, he pulled the gun. John was the only one that was injured. And that's this whole idea that we are part of what we are. It's not, it's all one thing. It's all oneness. We're all tied into the thing. And we want to play the separation game that there's these evil aliens that are doing stuff to us or we're these victims or whatever. And we have to realize that we are part of what it is. And if you get the reincarnation world, I think John Alexander even said, we are them and they are us. And that is true. You may have been the alien last time. You may be in connection with them. If it's a reincarnation world, you agreed to come in here. You agreed to do this. We agreed to have this conversation. We agreed to come in here and raise consciousness or whatever it is. And so you have to get these assumptions right about how does the world really work. And when you get to the wow factor, then you start to, when you look at these things, you start to realize that whatever this phenomena is, it's teaching us what reality really is. And that's where if you get this whole thing about what happens when you die, what, what, what reality really is about consciousness, then you start to understand that this thing has really to do with what reality is all about rather than just some aliens who had nothing better to do that, that come here because none of that stuff makes sense that they come here to look at the crops or whatever. They're, 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 they're 
doing these these weird sort of things. They're not interacting with us. There's almost nothing physical. They don't have any, uh, you know, chandeliers on the craft. They're they're basically just going about and doing their business. They're interacting with people and they're they're delivering these 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 messages, which have a lot to do with with um, spirituality, like and even get into the thing with the the free survey. When you get to the the stat that I say that you have to watch, there's three stats. One is 42% of all experiencers claim that they have mathematical, scientific, or technical material in their head that they did not learn in school. They got it from the others, from these people. The other oh, one. Here, let me just interrupt, and I can say that, like, I have had not mathematical stuff, but I have had like powerful psychic stuff that appeared out of nowhere. I shared some of that stuff private with you. And, yeah, yeah, yeah. And 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 the other one is. And this, this one is critical. This is and you, and you get these crossovers because so you you get these crossovers. If you look at lucid dream research, if you look at out of body experience research, near death experience, you start getting these huge crossovers. And the one is and it happens mostly in near death experiences or in ayahuasca type things where forty percent of all experiencers say at one point during their experience they knew the answer to everything in the universe. That is a powerful, powerful statistic. I mean, if they did, and I talked to people and I would say to them, okay, so how long did this last? And they said, it was like a dream. It's like by the end of the first day, all I could remember was that I knew everything in the universe. And I'd say, how do you know that there wasn't something on the other side of the universe, like number seven, eight, nine, that they didn't show you, that they kept secret? And they say exactly what I had, because I had the download experience. I, they would say exactly what I said. I really don't know, Mike, but I just know. I'm not sure, but I just know for sure that I knew everything in the universe. And the other one is, and this is the critical one, that we sort of assume that, you know, they're here and they're flying, you know, these little tin crafts and we're going to get the, the engine out of it. And we're going to fly to the stars and stuff. 14% of all experiencers say they've flown the craft. And I've got 50 people that I've talked to or I've researched their case who will say, and they all say exactly the same thing. I say, what happens? So I'll give you an example. Seven four, uh, uh, F-16 retired U.S. Air Force colonel. Los Angeles misses my lecture. He comes after the lecture to the restaurant. And they say, Robert, Robert, you got to talk to Grant. He's talking about flying the craft. Tell him you flow the craft. And he goes, well, yeah, yeah, but it was a dream. It seemed like a dream. I said, everybody thinks it's a dream. I said, you flew the craft. And he said, well, yeah. And I said, well, sit down and tell me about it. And so this guy sits down and it's, it's like they're reading off a cue card. My kids, they, they actually said the same thing. You, you go into the craft. Chris Butzel told me same thing. The beings are behind you. You don't know if it's humans or whether it's beings. There's somebody behind you and you go into the craft and you're standing there. And then they, you, they, the guy says, he's standing there and he's just looking at this panel and they say, go ahead. And he said, I don't know what to do. And almost all in the same thing, the, the being will say, go ahead, you know what to do. And so this F-16 guy says, he goes, and he puts the hands on this panel and said, boom, he's flying the craft. And he becomes one with the craft. The craft is alive. They all say the same thing. The craft is alive. I become one with the craft. Whatever I think is what the craft does. And I got my hands on this panel. And the, the F-16 guy was weird because he was actually he was trying to test this thing. He said it was like suction cups on his F-16. He's pulling his hands down. And then he said he pulled one hand off and he was still flying the craft. And then he thought, well, I'll take the other hand off, but I'll keep it six inches above the panel in case the craft stalls. And I can put my hand back down on the panel. And he took his other hand off and he said I was flying the craft. And he said, whatever I thought was what it did. Chris Butzel said the same thing. He said, I was flying over top the Cape Fear River where he was abducted in, 19, in, in 2007. I was six inches off the water, cross-legged with the window, and I'm yelling and screaming as I'm flying the flying saucer down the, 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 the river. And that to me is powerful when you see this whole thing that there, as 
Cat Stevens said, and he wrote a song. Cat Stevens, the musician, was abducted. And he wrote this song called Freezing Steel. I was on the, sh on the ship, the ship of freezing steel, the ship without the guiding wheel. And they'll all say the same thing. There is no wheel. There's no steering wheel. You fly it with your mind. And that kind of stuff just takes you right out of this physical universe and says, we have no idea what we're doing. And that's my conclusion. Because I've got a lot of documents that I'm going to actually be releasing that I've gotten that I've never made public. And all the documents show the same thing. I firmly believe that the government, the reason the cover-up is taking place, they absolutely know that the, this thing is real. They've got bodies. They've got crafts. Beyond that, they have no idea what's going on. They have no idea how to control the phenomena. They have no idea how to start the craft. It's all this consciousness thing. We're still in this, this um, superstition of materialism. We believe it's all matter. And what there's going to do, it's shifting us out of this and saying, no, it's not. It's made out of consciousness. Consciousness is primary. You're manifesting what you're seeing. You're not really seeing what you think you're seeing. And that whole shift. And that's why I say it's going to be a lot less physical than people think it is. And it's going to be a lot more spiritual. It's going to deal with reincarnation. It's going to deal with uh, out-of-body experience, with uh, what, the, what, what actually happens, uh, you know, in terms of who we are and, and where we're going. In, in our lives and in the universe. So so I told you this at one point, and I'll repeat it again here, and I'll, be, I'll say it really quick because I've told this a few times. Um, I had a hypnosis session. I've had two. The same story emerged, and I usually tell the story about what happened the second time when I did it with Yvonne Smith. I had a hypnosis session less than a year before with Mary Rodwell this story emerged. It's a little mixed up when you look at the transcription because we were talking about several different events when I was under hypnosis with Mary. We talked about one thing, one event when I was under hypnosis with Yvonne. It's a long story, but I was sleeping out under the stars. I was looking up at a, um, a round, what I called a round structure on a hill, and I said to myself, I was all alone out in the desert of southern Utah, and I looked up at this thing and I said, that looks just like a landed flying saucer. Now, under hypnosis, like this was a pleasant night. It was a lovely night. All this weird stuff. Tons of synchronicities yeah. connected to this. I, oh, how to say this without just spinning into 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 madness or how, how to say this without, let me just start over. Under hypnosis with Yvonne. I'm lying there looking at this thing. I'm in my sleeping bag. And all of a sudden I'm like, I'm out. I'm not in my sleeping bag. I'm looking down at this craft. I, I'm not in my body. So basically I was describing an out-of-body experience looking down at this craft. And then I say, oh, I'm in a hallway. Now I'm in a hallway. And I'm and I'm not tall. Like, I'm not tall. I'm six feet tall right now. Like, I know what it means to be tall. And I'm not tall. I'm like short. And I look to my right and I look to my left. And there's these beings that are the exact same height as me. And there's these little gray beings. And we're walking down this hall. And I look down at my body. And I've got these long fingers. And I've got this tight-fitting uniform on. And I'm like, I'm a gray alien. And I said... <laughs> It felt like I, like there was a clothes, like a coat hanger waiting for me in the craft, like with like a with a rubber suit, and I just my 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 non physical body just went whoop right into that suit, and I walked down the hall. And the next thing I know, I'm in this conference room, which is weird because it doesn't match like a interior of a flying saucer. Let's say it's a it's a tacky conference room that would be in any crummy motel anywhere right so a little teeny conference room with folding chairs and and i'm like it's this weird trial and i'm like why am i here and they're like you chose to be here like what do you mean i chose to be here what's going on now is the time what does that mean now is the time 
you chose to yeah. be here. What does that mean? I chose to be here. Now is the time I got stuck in this thing. And all of a sudden I like, I like basically break down and I'm like, you never told me it would be this hard being here. And, yeah. it go, and it got very emotional at that point. You never told me about pain and suffering and sadness and loneliness. And, and then all of a sudden I'm back in the sleeping bag, you know, and Yvonne asked me some questions. She was like, did they leave you with a message? And I'm like, yes. And like, what's the message? It's like, I can't tell you. I don't know. It feels like I'm holding an envelope. <laughs> it feels like I'm holding an envelope and I'm not allowed to open the envelope. Like in a spy movie, they hand the spy the envelope. And you got to deliver this envelope. Don't open the envelope. That's what it feels like. So if I'm creating the universe, right? Did I create this? Did I create this? Did I confabulate this story, right? I've read all, I've read everything John Mack has written about abductions and stuff. This story shows up. It's all over his first book, Abduction, right? So I, did I confabulate this story out of, out of my own data pool? And, and so here's, here's my answer to it, right? So people, someone asked me recently, like, well, what does it all mean? Like, how, how has this changed you? And I had to think, like, how has this changed you? And I thought for just a second and I said, you know what? I can say now that I live in a magical universe. And I couldn't have said that before. And that's about as simple as I can boil it all down for myself. The way I always boil it down is I say to people, when you realize, when I came to realize what I was part of, I said, this is the Super Bowl of all stories. Not only are you in the stadium, you're in the game. You could be the water boy, the quarterback, whatever, but you got to play in this unbelievable story. People just do not realize how complex it is, how mag magical it is, how magnificent this story is, what it all entails. And you and I are sort of like on the leading edge. You've got the, you may, they're leading you along the same way. So you've got the message, but you don't really have the message, but you're part of it and you're trying to figure out more and they just drag you along to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. And you're part of it. And, and you've, you've agreed to do this, this, this thing, but it's like the whole thing. You can either disclose or not disclose. And the government is doing the same thing as the, as the intelligence is doing. If they want to disclose, they would just do the left brain rational analytical thing and just give you a, a paper that explains how it all works. And if they wanted to cover up, they would turn the lights off on the craft and just and just not let you know. But you're in the middle. It's like this game where you know, but you don't know. And, and you're moving it along. And, and um, it's this gradual disclosure thing where they keep you on the edge. And you're trying to get to the next step. You're trying. You you can't leave it go. You can't. You can't. But you realize it's very important. And we go back to this whole thing of wanting to go back to the, the real world. And I'll tell you a story just before we end. With with Barbara Lamb told me this story, and I I, I was I've talked to Barbara Lamb lots of times, and she suddenly told me the story, and suddenly I I I sort of got something. And there was this thing about time and space. And they say, you know, time and space really doesn't exist. We think it exists. It doesn't exist. And it, and you can't really wrap your head around it. So I'm sitting with her with L.A. and we're sitting there with Ray Hernandez. We're sitting in a restaurant. She's talking. I'm listening to her stories, whatever. And he tells this story. She says, you know, when I abduct people, when, when these people are in, inside the ship, they're really scared. So you know what I do? I, I try to distract them. So I say to the person, she tells the story. She says, I say to the person, do you know what they're doing to you? And the person goes, no, I don't know what they're doing. Would you like to know? Yeah, I'd like to know what they're doing. Well, go ahead and ask them. And then there's a pause and the person comes back and says, it's my kidney. They say something wrong with my kidney. They say I should go to the doctor. Something wrong with my kidney. And I suddenly realized, like, this was an event that was in the past. It was written in stone. It didn't happen. They didn't ask about the kidney. And she's gone back into the past, and she's changed that event. Or she'll say to them, look to your right. Who's on your right? 
look at the wall. What's the wall? And she and she's basically distracting them. So this whole idea that 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 things are in the past aren't changeable. You, it, there is no time. You can go back and change things. And I just suddenly realized you went back and changed that event in the past. And the other one was a lot of and Yvonne, a lot of these people will say suddenly the being wants to talk to them. So Barbara said the, the person says, oh, I want to talk to Barbara. They want to talk to you. OK. What do they want to? And so she starts this conversation through the person on the table with this thing. And then the, she's they're describing something that Barbara did. She was in the garden. She was doing whatever. And this being's describing this thing. And Barbara says, oh, really? Were you there? And the being says, no, Barbara, I've never been to your planet. And this whole idea where time and space, I suddenly go, oh, that it sort of makes sense that there is there's really no time and space. We're making all these sort of false assumptions. And then when you get into the synchronicity thing that you're big on, I'd say you and Paul Davids are probably the biggest guys on synchronicity. I started having these synchronicity things just in the last couple of months. And I suddenly went and it, then you really start to wonder, like, what is really going on? How does the world really work? Because, you know, for a fact that th these things happened and yet it makes no sense in the physical world. And you realize that it's this Super Bowl of uh, once you figure this out, you'll figure out how the universe works. But we're, we're not even past one percent of understanding what's actually going on. We have no idea. And I think that's what the cover-up's about. They have crafts, they have bodies, they know there's UFOs, they've got, they're, they're you know, filming them and this sort of stuff. But in terms of the show, as Jim Semivan, who's to the stars, this is, I heard, pretty good source that told me this. Someone did, I think it was John Alexander asked him, because John, he told John it was all for real. And John, of course, wants to know, you know, okay, who in the government's running? So he says, okay, so who's running it? And Jim Semivan said, they are. And I think that's what it comes down to. And, and well, let me interrupt. And Jim Semivan, who did the introduction to, I think, the paperback version of one of yeah. Tom DeLonge's fiction books, I think. Um, he, I, it's, he, he says it's straight up. Him. He's an abductee. Yeah, yeah. And I heard that story uh, through Chris. I heard it through another guy. I've heard the story a number of times. I have a lot of details, which he's asked to keep the details, what the beings look like and stuff like that. But he, he says when he, in, in that entry to that book where you're talking about he says when i had my experience my idea of reality was shattered and that's basically what it comes down to when you start to watch the pieces that are being moved around on the board and you start to really take them seriously like synchronicity and and your experiences and and all this kind of stuff you start to realize this is it's not only weirder than you think it's weirder than you could ever possibly imagine that it's this unbelievably complex universe and people haven't got the foggiest notion what's going on they're just walking around almost like this expression they're walking around in lives of quiet desperation just doing a job just they have no idea and and uh you and i are in this game which is uh when you start to realize what's going on you realize like wow this is so cool i mean th that we get to study this and we get to experience this and we get to understand this i almost feel sorry i have empathy for people who are basically running around taking their kids to soccer practice trying to make a job trying to make a living where i can sort of play this thing which is just unbelievably magnificent and just shows you that the universe is just such a complex magnificent place people cannot even begin to imagine i agree at the same time it's i have you get this glimpse you get this glimpse into this other world right so maybe someone someone has got a better view into it and maybe i just have a little fleeting glimpse into it and what i can say is Yes, my idea of reality was shattered. And what had to happen after that, you have to re you have to rebuild. You can't walk around with a shattered 
view of reality. You've got to create something. Some new vision of reality has to take its place or you're adrift. And that's in the the new reality that I, I guess it's always been there in a sense, but the reality that that I sense is truly at play is much, much, much more playful, mysterious, complicated, multi-layered, mystical, confusing, never-ending, and and I could go on and on and on with adjectives like this, but but yeah. we're confronted and we're, and with something magical. Yes, we're part of it. That's why another thing I don't think people realize. This big business guy in Winnipeg told me the story. He had he had two real dramatic experiences that dragged him and this big business guy into it. And he went to one of the top remote viewers in the United States. He was able to hire her, and he said to her, "Okay, so who uh, who who is in those crafts that I saw?" And it was really bizarre sightings. You know how he just had to go out and sky watch with his laser and this thing flies by first one and stuff like that. And she says, what do you mean? Who was in the craft? There was nobody in the craft. That was you. And he said, what do you mean it was me? He said, you sent the craft to yourself to wake yourself up. And so you get this idea. Maybe Mike, it's you and I, if it's all one thing, maybe you and I are the architects of this thing. And all the stuff that's happening to you is you on the other side. If the reincarnation is a fact, you decided, okay, I'm going to come in. How am I going to wake myself up? Well, I'm going to do this. I'm going to work with these people. I'm going to work with those people. And it's you doing all this stuff that you are part of it. There's no outside people that are doing it to us that we are not only part of it. We are the people who are almost like the, if you studied the Dr. Michael Newton stuff where he does 7,000 regressions, he takes people to the past life, he lets them die, he takes them into the spirit world, and he calls it life between life. He says everybody, the 7,000 people all say the same thing. When you die, you go in front of this council between 3 and 12 for this life review thing that people talk about or whatever, and they only ask you one question. They ask you, so how did it work out? Because you planned it. You were the guy that was running the whole thing. And that's something that just blows people's minds that that could possibly be true, that you are, it's like you put all the players on the stage. You've got these people, these people, you're playing this little game and it's all just a thing. And everybody says the same thing when they get the five word question. How did it work out? They have to give a five word answer. Michael Newton says, everybody says the same thing. I could have done better. I forgot to do this. I was going to do this. I thought I'd do that. I got scared. I didn't do this. And, and that may be what it comes down to, that when you see the UFO stuff, what I've seen, and I had, the, I had the experience of this download, 24 things that basically said, this is how it works. You got this wrong. It's this. It's not this. It's not this. And it went on for 10 minutes. So I'm writing as fast as I could. I got these 24 things. So I sort of got this enlightenment, and everything is fit into that pattern. And it's this pattern that it's a lot less physical, a lot more spiritual than people think, and it's just absolutely more complex uh, almost like David Bohm used to say, where he, he had the thing with the uh, the quantum level. And he, he got scientists upset where he said, well, you know, when you figure out the quantum level, you got, you're going to have all the rules or whatever. There's just another layer below that. They go, no, there's not. And that's the whole thing. Maybe there is. Maybe it's just layer upon layer upon layer. And it just gets the universe is conscious. That's all it is, is consciousness, which is learning, which is getting more complex, which wants to experience, which wants to play, which wants to do whatever. And we are part of that consciousness. We are actually the players that are playing the thing. And we think there's outside people are doing it to us. And we are a big part, if not the whole thing, of what is happening to us. We are just playing this game. We're on the other side. We decide we're going to come in. We're going to do this kind of stuff. This is what we want to do. We're going to set it all up. And the more I look at it, the more it fits. And my download experience I had nothing has has gone the other way where i said oh that wasn't right it all has sort of all these pieces that fit into this download so i i feel 
honored that not only did I get played the game, but I got some hints. And I think you do the same thing with your experiences where they're, they're, they're giving you these things that actually move you down the field. They're actually giving you answers. They're actually helping you figure this thing out or you're helping yourself figure things out, waking yourself up with this idea that maybe the things that you're seeing are things that you planned to put in your life to teach you things, to to uh, experience things, to wake you up and that kind of thing. And that kind of stuff, I think it would just blow people's minds when they think, nah, it's like they're still into this, this what I refer to as the, you know, the uh, superstition of materialism, that everything is just nuts and bolts. It's all random. It's all just accident. And. And we're just pawns in a, you know, corks floating down a stream. I do not think we are corks floating down a stream. I think this, the, well, someone is controlling the stream. The corks are all conscious. The stream has got its own uh, greater mission. Yes. So perhaps, you know, we could use that metaphor and just give every single element within that a deeper, deeper, deeper resonance. Yeah, but it's all still one. It's the it's the the concept that that the the universe is a verb. It's not a noun. The minute we try to turn because we want it because we're rational analytical, so you got to try to figure it out. So you say, you know, well, we got these levels of consciousness, and there's you know five levels and seven levels, and we start turning things into nouns. As soon as we try to turn things into nouns, we start messing it up. It's all a verb. It's almost like there was one guy had the experience where he's in the other side and he says, "What level am I on?" And the being says, "Level." They talk about there's no levels and it's just like it's water like we're in the water and the closer you get to the surface of the water the more light there is the more you can see we're just down in the dark part of the water where we really can't see anything it, it's all the same thing once you start saying okay there's quarks there's streams there's uh, there's matter there's uh, god there's this and we start trying to rationalize with the left brain instead of realizing it's all just one thing it's all just consciousness it's all just this developing thing it's consciousness which is still which is peaceful, which is uh, contains unconditional love. And once that's that consciousness starts to vibrate, that's when the physical universe, it's all vibration. It's all, as the Buddhists would say, it's all illusion. And the only thing that is real is that which does not change consciousness. Grant, I want to thank you so much. This has been a really wonderful chance to, to wrestle with these ideas. Yes. I'm, I'm honored to have talked with you and, uh, We'll have to do it again because we both are going, I think, down that same field rather than trying to look at the sort of the sighting thing. You're trying to figure out what's the deeper answer to what we're looking at is. Yes, we we are confronted with many questions and very few answers. Yep. Wonderful. This has been great. Um, Yes, let's please keep in touch. Okay. Thanks. This is Mike, and I am chiming in after the editing. Well, there was a lot in this episode, and I, at the very beginning, I said, let's talk fast, and we'll cram two episodes into one. Uh, as I listened to the audio, that may have been a mistake to egg Grant on like that, but there is a lot of info in here, and I really enjoyed the entirety of the talk. Now, I wanted to include one thing, and I never got to it. I wanted to include something that Anne Streber had said, and I remember her speaking about this several times This is going back, good grief, perhaps a decade now. But I remember she spoke very clearly about a study, a scientific study, and I can't find any reference to this in the site. I've searched a little bit, not a lot. I also searched a few of Whitley's books, and I couldn't find the reference to this. Perhaps some of the listeners can help me out. She spoke of a study, a scientific study, where people were 
asked to take an intelligence test. Afterwards, they would read a story, a purposefully absurd story. If I remember correctly, it was a, a Kafka story, a short story by Franz Kafka. And then they would take a similar intelligence test again. And what the researchers found is that people's intelligence went up after being confronted with something absurd. And she equated that to the entirety of the UFO contact experience. The experiencer is being confronted with something absurd. And within the actual working of the brain, something changes. Being confronted with something absurd changes an individual. And this dovetails very nicely with Grant's theory of wow. And once again, I messed up as a podcast host. I did not do the thing that I am supposed to do at the end of an interview where I ask the guest, so Grant, how do people get in touch with you? And I'm doing it here now. Grant has a site called Beyond Presidential UFO. This is a new site for him. His old site was called Presidential UFOs. And if you go to that site, it'll just take you to the new site. But his new site is beyondpresidentialufo.com, spelled exactly how it sounds, no spaces. And he's also been posting a lot on his YouTube channel, and I'll give that address, White House UFO. That's the name of his YouTube channel, and there is a lot there. He also hosts a radio show called The Cameron Files. Now, before I leave, I would like to thank Lauren Cutts for his intro and outro music. And I would also like to thank Andrea Lissette Villiers on the gong. If anyone's made it this far, thank you so much. Bye now.